Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rokraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we'll be covering one of the biggest movies, I would say, of the year and of the New York Film Festival that just wrapped up. This is kind of a two-parter episode. We'll have our review of Anatomy of a Fall, and then next week we'll be releasing the second part, which will be covering all of the other movies from the festival, talking about our experiences, and hearing from Bennett Prosser, who came to the festival with us. So there's a lot to talk about, and we just felt like splitting it up into two episodes. Yeah, so we had some technical difficulties for anyone who for anyone who's been following along, you know, on Twitter or with our announcements even from last week. We were supposed to do this in one, but we ended up having to split it, which is totally fine. Gives us more time to dive into the movies and each year we usually single out one big release from October that also premieres at the festival and Anatomy of a Fall is a great film and I can't wait to get into the review because there's a lot to get into with this movie. I need you to be precise. Tell me everything. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. I think it fell off that third floor. The windows open. The autopsy report is inconclusive. An accidental fall is going to be hard for us to defend. That's why there's an investigation for a more suspicious death. Because you were the only person there. And of course, you always wife. Stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point. Okay, so let's get into our review of Anatomy of a Fall. I've been waiting for this moment for five months now, and now that I've seen it again, I am so excited to talk about it and to hear your thoughts, everything. We didn't see this together, but we briefly texted about it, and yeah, tell me about your experience and what you think of Anatomy of a Fall. Oh my god. I mean, where to begin? So I knew that this was your favorite movie of Cannes, and we had talked about that. You hadn't said too much about whether or not you thought I would really like the movie. I think you were maybe hedging a little bit, trying to just make sure not to get my expectations too high, which I appreciated. So I went in with fairly high expectations just because it won the Palm d'Or, but, you know, Triangle of Sadness also won the Palm d'Or, and I was not... A huge fan of that. It really depends on a number of things. So my expectations were high, but I tried to go in with just a very open mind, I guess, about the film, even though I had heard such positive things. And I was really blown away by it. It's almost two and a half hours, and it feels like it's 90 minutes long. It mm-hmm. flies by. I think that the way that the story moves and the pacing of it is so smart. Sandra Huller's performance is impeccable. It reminded me a lot of Kate Blanchett and Tar last year. Just a similar quality to the character, but also in terms of just totally. the quality of the performance. 
and the type of performance that she's giving us, the way that she misdirects, the way that she has this charm over the people in the film, but also over the audience that completely disarms you, I think, is something that's so fun to get lost in. And yes, it is a thriller, but it's more of a courtroom drama. It's a whodunit in a way, but the whodunit actually starts to matter less, I think, as the story goes on. And you just think about what the film is saying about marriage and about truth and lies and the types of communication that we have with each other. I also just love watching things about the French court system. Saint-Omer was one of my favorite films last year, and this is, I would say, a flavor of that, but very different at the same time. And what excites me about this film, I think, is that it is a film that I think, you know, cinephiles and critics and people who watch a lot of films will really love, but it's also a film that I think general audiences will respond to really well. It's something that I think will inspire conversations among people after you see it. I think this is the type of film where, after I watched it, the reason why I texted you immediately wasn't just because I wanted to tell you that I really loved it and that it really worked on me, but also because you cannot watch this movie and not want to talk about what you think of it, what you think of the characters, what you think happened, what you think it all means. And it's it's not in an annoying, like, go to Reddit and share your theories way either. It's just a fun intellectual exercise. And... Yeah, I can't wait for more people to see it. I can't wait to see it again. I think it's the type of film that will just really grow as I continue to rewatch it. It definitely rewards multiple viewings for sure. I love so much of this. I definitely benefited from a second Mm -hmm. watch and a lot of it is in the character, mainly Sandra Uhler playing Sandra, which is, I think, Mm -hmm. a part of it. Her character and all of the physicality of her performance Before we get into it, let me just go over the movie. For those of you who haven't seen the trailer or don't know much about this movie, the description of Anatomy of a Fall, Sandra, Samuel, and their visually impaired son, Daniel, have been living in a remote mountain location for the past year. When Samuel is found dead outside the house, an investigation for death in suspicious circumstances is launched. Amidst the uncertainty, Sandra is indicted, Was it suicide or homicide? A year later, Daniel attends his mother's trial, a veritable dissection of his parents' relationship. This was directed by Justine Trier. It stars Sandra Uhler, Swan Arlo, and Milo Machado Graner. The awards for this movie, it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, like you said, and Messi, the dog who plays Snoop, won the Palme Dog for his performance as well. So I think that definitely it was like a shoe-in to win this award mm-hmm. i'm glad they did because what that dog goes through at the end of this movie is so mm-hmm. important to the story and it's i think so smart to include every character a big thing about this movie for me was perspective and perception and very early on again on that second watch what i benefited from was noticing like how much of each character get screen time Mm -hmm. and in the beginning we have a lot of snoop and you don't really recognize it unless you know it and obviously like once the ending comes about you realize it and just seeing snoop stare or you know be around what he sees there's a shot very early when sandra is talking to the journalist and snoop comes in and just stares at her (laughs) and 
he seems so suspicious. So I think that gets the ball rolling, the gears turning into like, who is she? And the way she manipulates the journalist and just everybody throughout the movie is so spooky and telling. And I loved every minute of her performance. But you're right, like mixing truth and fiction is such a big part of the story. And hearing that line from the trailer the second time, it comes so early, but it's when she goes, wait, hold on, I didn't kill him. And the lawyer goes, that's not the point. And that's such a big part of the story. And in realizing the justice system and in seeing the courtroom, all of those proceedings happen. It is riveting storytelling. And it is very accessible. It might sound boring from the onset of like sitting in this courtroom and definitely in a way that Saint-Omer isn't as accessible, I think, just for general audiences. But the way they go through this trial and what they unearth throughout the process, it just keeps you on the edge of your seat. And I think you're totally right about the conversation of this movie. It turns from like, oh, do you think she did it? Do you think she didn't do it? Into the circumstances of the situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, was it possible? And what does it mean for this family and for this mother and son and their relationship now? Because things have totally changed by the end of the movie. Well, getting into Snoop quickly and just how the movie opens, I always love when pets are around crime in films because I always think, oh, you know, they they actually know what happened. They're always the, the key mm-hmm. to the mystery. I always think that with Bleecker, the orange tabby in Gone Girl. But here we actually see that Snoop really is the linchpin to this whole thing and We will get into spoilers, I think, and we will share our own theories about what happened later. We will provide a big warning. You should go into this as blind as possible. However, one of my favorite things about this movie is that Justine Trier is committed to not providing any answers. She asks a lot of questions Mm -hmm. throughout the movie that are never answered. And that is something that I love when I watch films like this. And she seems to revel in the ambiguity so much so that Sandra Huller and I heard this at a Q&A one of the free talks at New York Film Festival Sandra Huller she wanted to know you know what is the truth behind this character did she do it did she not what is the truth I want to know and Justine Trier didn't tell her (laughs) and and just shared with her that she needed to just approach this character from the perspective that she believed she didn't do this or from the perspective that she wanted Mm -hmm. to tell people that she didn't do this. She left it very open-ended for her. And I think that's such a smart directorial choice and it comes through in Sandra's performance. I think that as she uses her language skills and her charm as weapons, right? Against the audience and against the court system. I think it's it's just really smart. And the way that the film starts out, it puts you on really uneasy footing because you see Sandra, this character, she's like you said having an interview with this journalist and it's very lax and low key. She has wine, she seems to maybe be flirting with this journalist. There's just this air about the conversation that is very very relaxed. 
and you get to see who this character is right from the beginning, what her personality is like and how she can connect with other people, how she talks with other people. And then we hear this music blasting from upstairs. And let me tell you, this is one of the first things I texted you after I saw this movie was that I, I seem to love films where a prickly artist character is really bothered by loud noises phantom thread tar Tar. and now anatomy Mm -hmm. of a fall (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i am also really bothered by loud noises i found and it's an instrumental cover of 50 cent which is also just hysterical it's the jamaican version of this song (laughs) it puts you off kilter Mm -hmm. As the audience, but also for Sandra, who is used to it, but we get to learn about her character in this very weird setting. But in this moment, like when it turns on, she's also turning things on the journalist. So it's like, is this reality? Like, is the husband playing with her? Like the lawyer later on says in court, or is it fabricated in her favor? Mm -hmm. Every little detail seems like it could have been how it was unprovoked by her but it also feels like she is controlling the strings and that i think is what's so eerie and so smart about trier's writing is in how each thing plays out and fits together and i think too right when you hear that music you are almost at least i was instantly annoyed for her because she's taking part in this recorded interview with a journalist about her book that she's working on and you can just tell there's this sense of disrespect coming from another room in the house that really, again, just bothered me for her. I was angry on her behalf. But at the same time, I also thought, oh, like, is this when you, you know, call your mom when you're at a party growing up and tell her to come pick you up or to say you can't go spend the night somewhere because you don't want to? Like, is he playing this music because she wants the person to leave and they have some sort of relationship agreement where they just do these sorts of things Mm -hmm. for each other you don't really know until the movie starts to unfold and you still don't really have a lot of answers for it but it's just a layer to the mystery that keeps unraveling as you go which I really really love so the most interesting part of the premise is that they have this son Daniel like you mentioned in the description who's visually impaired and he is taking the dog out for a walk and he is the one well snoop really but he's the one who discovers his dad's body just lying on the ground in a pool of blood he's clearly dead at this point but we never see him fall but he works upstairs on the third floor so he either fell or died by suicide But the fact that the son who's visually impaired is the one who discovers him introduces this entire element of the senses and what you remember. And as the investigation begins and the police and detectives are, you know, interrogating Daniel, he uses certain tendencies that he has to remember where things are as a visually impaired person to tell his version of the story to the police. Like there are these little Velcro strips that are around the house that he, where he can remember, oh, I went past this and this is where I remembered hearing this argument or hearing them talk at this volume. It's really cool how they use his lack of sight rather to 
have a commentary on volume, how you remember things from hearing. It's just, it's so interesting, I think. How Trier uses Daniel's characteristics to add another element to this mystery. Another unreliable character, right? You mentioned the possibilities of how he died and flashback is a very sparse thing that Trier uses in the film. During the interrogation, there are essentially two possibilities, right? That he either jumped or he was pushed. And the only flashbacks we get, and again, these are possibilities, are these things happening. We actually see them both happen, making them both possible. And the only other moment is this fight that happens. The audio recording of this fight is unearthed and they flash back, but only part of it. And then we return to the courtroom to hear the rest Mm -hmm. of it, which again, adds this questionable element of what is happening? What are we hearing? Who is doing what action? Hitting, glass breaking. So again, it just plays with your mind and how you perceive what you're hearing. And again, the senses are really important. Tying Daniel into this, you know, we have, like we said in the description, one year passes between the incident and the trial. So Daniel's grown. And throughout this, we get to hear him playing the piano. And I think, you know, hearing his growth and seeing his growth throughout the proceedings and what he's learning is such a great way to further the story too. You know, we hear the maturity in the piano, and I love the score. I think it does add that thrilling aspect Mm -hmm. to, I guess, the genre of the story. It adds a faster pace to the actions happening. Yeah, and speaking about the fight and how that comes up in court and how we learn more about their relationship, a really clever thing that Trier incorporates based on casting Sandra Huller in this role is that this couple, he's French, she's German, and they live in France. And this is this kind of great compromise that they fought about. You know, they they live basically in, in his country, she's away from home, and their compromise is that they speak English. She's not learning French for him, he's not learning German for her. And her French itself is fine it's passable in conversation but it's not her best language english is what she prefers and throughout the film you know as she's speaking with investigators early on she and she's told by her lawyer that she needs to speak in french everything's going to be conducted in french and she does until all of a sudden you realize that she has switched to english and she does this in such a subtle way where she'll tell them during a little interview like oh I don't I don't know this word in French or I don't know how this phrase in French can I do it in English and it'll start in these little small ways and then suddenly she's sharing her entire testimony and cross-examination in English so a good majority of this film is in English and I loved that because it becomes very clear I think that she is manipulating the court when she starts speaking English. And I think as Americans, I'm just just speaking as, you know, someone whose first and primary language is English, that at first I didn't notice what she was doing because it just felt natural to me and she slips into it because it's the language that I'm more familiar with. So I just locked into it more easily than when she was speaking French. But the way that it works on 
the French court system is that they are suddenly on their back foot. She's controlling the entire room by selecting the language that they're going to conduct the proceedings in, basically. They might speak to her in French, but she's going to... She has totally switched it to English. Yeah, and when she does it, she goes, oh, sorry, sorry, um... I don't really know how to say this. And by this point, she had asked her lawyer for a translation mm-hmm. at one point. But now she's kind of fed up and she's not going to do that anymore. She just goes straight uh-huh. to English. And I think they could have pushed back a little bit on that because she continues. The rest of the time yeah. is in English. And it's just so smart mm-hmm. for her character to do yes. this. I think she's doing fine in French. She's. It's definitely not... You know, she's not stuttering. She's not pausing. No, she's fine. (laughs) So this feels more like a manipulation Mm -hmm. than something that she can't comply with. No, she totally could. That's the funniest part about it. Yeah, and that's why I laugh. Like, there are funny elements in this movie just because it's such a perfect performance, delivery, screenplay, and in how they're introduced. And then just... A couple things about her character that I really like. One, her sweaters. I want her entire wardrobe. I love oh this God, is like yes. the only good part to cold mm-hmm. weather are like nice, cozy sweaters. So I think the costume designer, Isabelle Penetier, did a great job. There are other moments when she's talking about the husband, and this is also again great writing, is she never speaks down about the husband. He's always on a level playing field and i even think during the fight i mean they're very equal with each other they're honest they i don't know if i you know see the love there because we're also given such minimal content of them Mm -hmm. together like we have a couple photos and then that one scene of the fight but she's speaking highly about him and then at the very end she'll go but i have to admit this and then she'll say something really (laughs) snarky so good (laughs) So it makes her seem innocent and that, you know, anything that he's done is to provoke her or to, in a way, victimize her. Again, it's just a really small thing. And then later on, I don't know if you picked up on this or if this is just something I thought, but I was worried that, you know, especially after the trial, she and the lawyer might get Uh together. I thought so, too. Like, you feel some sexual tension there. And that, I think, just adds to the question of... You know, what are her motivations? Where is she in coping Mm -hmm. with his death? Because it's very soon after, at least the first part. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I thought that too. And that also that lawyer is not my type at all. But I have to say, I was like kind of into him during the movie. I was like, oh, there's something about him. I don't really know what it is, but it's just because he's French. Who knows? But I also sort of suspected that a little bit. And I think part of that is just, again, how smart the script is in detailing Sandra's affairs and discussing how she had this affair with this woman. And when you start to know that, you start to think about her infidelity, but also like, does she use sex and sexuality as, you know, a way to get what she wants or as a power over other people or as just part of her charm that you see during the movie. And so when you know this about her character and you observe the ways that she interacts with others, I think it really is just a symptom of that power that she holds over people, whether it's sexual or platonic. I think that she just has a natural way about her 
that makes you believe, you know, some people are just that way, that they could just be with anyone, that it could happen with anyone, really. And I think that's that's the vibe that I get from her throughout the movie, which I think is why I made that assumption about the two of them. I think let's get into spoilers or I think things that we can talk about for people who have seen the movie or if you don't care, listen on. Amazing. (laughs) But the manipulation we talk about, there's a fact about her that she's bisexual Mm -hmm. that comes about during the courtroom scenes, which I guess I just want your input on because it does add another layer Mm -hmm. because then you're thinking back to the journalist from the beginning. And is it like, oh, was she kind of flirting with her? You know, is she flirting with everybody to get them on her side? I mean, that is why I love this character. Honestly, I think I just, I do love characters like this. I think that she just does naturally disarm people. And I think that her personality is to flirt. I mean, I think that's an excuse that some people use. But in her case, I do genuinely think that she likes to have the upper hand in every conversation, whether it's with her husband, with that journalist, with the courtroom, with her son. She always likes to have the upper hand and be a few steps ahead. So when she's not, I think she has to think creatively about how to win that back. But yeah, I think I interpreted it a little bit as some subtle flirting at the beginning. Nothing insidious, but just a little a little bit of like, you're interviewing me, so technically you have this power. You want to know all of this information about me, but... I'm turning the conversation to be about you instead. And that tells you a mm-hmm. lot about the character too and acts as a little bit of foreshadowing too to how she behaves in the courtroom in obviously a less relaxed manner. But I think one of the things that made me so nervous about this film and one of the brilliant things about Sandra Uller's performance is that I really was rooting for her the entire time. I wanted her to either get away with it or to get off if she was innocent. But the scene when Daniel, her son, tells the guardian that he doesn't want her to stay for the weekend when he's preparing for Mm -hmm. his final testimony, right? When he's going to go back and you think, oh my God, he's going to flip on his mom. Like something happened. He's going to reveal new information and it's going to be all over for her. But that is the Mm -hmm. opposite of what happens And do we want to talk about his testimony or the dog first? I think we might need to talk about the dog first. Major warning, I think, to people who are sensitive. If you haven't seen this movie and you're still listening to spoilers and you're sensitive to anything that happens to animals, just be prepared um, for this. Because I was like, am I going to have to walk out of this movie? Thankfully, I didn't. But basically, there are several instances throughout the movie where they talk about suicide attempts from Samuel. And one of those suicide attempts involved him throwing up pills. And this little demon child, Daniel, decides that he needs to (laughs) test this theory out on their dog. So he feeds Snoop aspirin. And this dog is like convulsing, like foaming at the mouth. And they have to give him salt water to throw it up. And this Mm -hmm. is how this child proves his grand point. And that he wants to bring to the court, which I thought was deranged. It's awful seeing Snoop that way when they cut to him mm-hmm. with his tongue hanging out the side of his mouth. Oh I'm like, everyone was horrified. I thought in that the he died. I was so scared. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think before this, they're in court on Friday 
and the judge leaves mm-hmm. unexpectedly. And then she comes back and she says, I guess they continue for the day. And at the very end, she goes, so Monday, Daniel has more to say. And then the mom's like, what? What What just happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sandra is out of her mind. So Daniel planned this before it happened. That is so important. Yes. So he has planned on Friday to go home and to then tell his mom, I don't want you here because I need to do this experiment on Snoop. That is just so smart. Little methodical (laughs) demon child. (laughs) He really is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then when he professes to the court liaison that, oh my God, I I gave Snoop the wrong thing when he knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. But the way that he does it and the reason he does it, you know, because he thinks he saw this before because of the dad and Snoop licking the aspirin vomit Mm -hmm. and getting sick from this again these very tiny pieces coming together to fit this huge puzzle that i absolutely love and i think him coming back you know to the mom's side and favoring her story in the end it makes sense and it is a happy ending in a way but our perspective as an audience is kind of in his hands Mm -hmm. because we know as little as he does because he wasn't there when the murder happened. Right. So I think us coming around and seeing it from his eyes also makes us believe in a way that she didn't do it. Or the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so I think now maybe we can get into our like theories of what happened. So the reason I love the ending of this movie so much is because this little boy is my new little Norman Bates, my new Cody Smith McPhee in The Power of the Dog. In that Mm -hmm. I think he will do anything to protect his mother. And the key thing I saw, there were two key things that Justine Trier and Milo Machado Graner do, who also brilliant child performance. Like he's, he's so good in this movie. I really hope he wins some young actor prizes throughout the season and gets, or gets like a little critics mention somewhere. I thought he was, he was fabulous, but there are two things. One In his testimony, he decides to share a sort of cryptic conversation that he had with his father when he was alone in the car with him, basically where his father alludes to the fact that he was going to die by suicide soon. But when this story is being told to us, a key thing that Trier does here is that she does not use the actor who plays Samuel's voice in this speech. Mm -hmm. She uses Daniel's voice. As he's telling us. So it's not a straight flashback. It's a it's it's a memory. Which is different than when we hear the court testimony earlier. And when we get the flashbacks to their fight. Where we hear that actor's voice instead. And that increases the suspicion. Because it makes you wonder. Are these Daniel's words instead? Did this conversation ever happen? Did he make it up? Because he knew that his mom needed one final thing to prove that she didn't do it. And I think deep down, he thinks his mom did it and he wants to protect her anyway. That's my general theory based on how that went. And there's another thing too later mm-hmm. on when when she gets off and comes home, well, they're sitting together and he kisses his mom's head in a way that is like, is so eerie. You get this feeling of like, of I'm here to protect you. Mm-hmm. I did this for you. I'm you're free now kind of thing because of what I did. 
So I think the child, I don't think the child did it. I don't think it really matters necessarily who did it per se. I think the mystery and keeping it open is more interesting than solving it actually. But I, yeah, I think she pushed him and Daniel covered for her. I can't remember how I felt initially, but I think I'm at the point where I'm not choosing a side. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that she could have done it. I think she really has the ability to have killed somebody, Mm -hmm. but I have absolutely no idea if she did or not. Yeah. And that's the genius in the story and this movie. To the point about Daniel, there's a quote earlier on where... The cops, you know, ask him about where he was and he says, oh, wait, no, I wasn't. I was inside. I misremembered. And Daniel goes, I made a mistake. And the lawyer goes, but you didn't lie. And I think the fact that he's a kid is really important, too, because we Mm -hmm. do make mistakes. We do, you know, dream up situations. But I don't know. That is such a heavy conversation to have had. Yes, it does come up later in the story as if it's almost an afterthought. This child poisoned his dog. Like he, for me, he will do anything. I mean, he had a good reason to, and I understand it. Would I have done that in any situation? No, because you don't know. Yeah. He easily could have overdosed the dog. I think this kid is just, he's in the moral gray area, and that's where he's going to stay. My little Norman Bates. Well, everybody is, and that's Mm -hmm. what I love about it. Yeah, but I'm excited to hear from people after they see this movie on what they think about it. And Mm -hmm. just knowing that we'll never know is really exciting. I love stuff like that. Well, I think Neon's marketing is so smart. Mm -hmm. So you can go to www.didshedoit.com. And when you open that up, it says she did it, she didn't do it, and you explain why, and you can see everybody's answers who had submitted. Oh my god, that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go there now. (laughs) so smart. And again, Neon, at it once again. I wish them the best this award season because, I mean, Parasite took it all, but this movie, I think, is my next biggest movie for Neon. That Mm -hmm. is, like, just so thought-provoking and makes me continually think about it. It really, it really is. And it's not tied up in as neat of a bow as Parasite, I would Mm -hmm. say, but it inspires conversation in in a similar way. And that is, again, what's exciting to me, right? One of the best things about Parasite was that suddenly people who went to the movies twice a year were going to see a Korean film and had ideas about what happened and what it all meant and how they felt about certain characters. And that's, I think, something that this film can do too. And I hope that Neon pushes it in a way where it finds audiences because it's just, it's so, it really is so good. I really enjoyed it definitely one of my favorite favorite films from the festival and I hope it's one that we will be talking about this award season as we go through different categories and share predictions it absolutely deserves to be talked about in multiple categories I think yeah I think just going through I would say picture absolutely director Mm -hmm. best actress for Sandra I think for me too she's a brilliant follow-up to Tar. She absolutely deserves that too. And screenplay. Mm-hmm. All of the big categories. And then we can get into technicals. I would say editing for sure. Yeah. Production design. The way that, you know, when the lawyer comes over and is inspecting or touring the house, they go upstairs to that attic. And I just love the way that she's really scared to be up there. Mm-hmm. You notice that she doesn't want to walk. And again, is that like 
she was there she you know she's unsteady because she murdered somebody Mm -hmm. or is it she's scared of heights and she doesn't like to be in the space right or is it the blocking that trier does where you see the lawyer closer to the window and sandra is perfectly in the center but further away almost like you think to yourself oh like she could push this lawyer out of the window too like she has you know (laughs) It makes her appear almost menacing in a way with where she's mm-hmm. standing. So, yeah, I Ooh. love that there are so many different ways that you can interpret different shots throughout the movie, too. A sign of good direction. Do you have any other categories that you would like to see it show up in? I was thinking, I mean, technical categories. Editing is the big one for me. I feel like this film is cut together in a really smart way. And the way that it uses the sounds in the film is just really, really smart. My big, big, big push, though, would be for Sandra Huller for actress. I think she would be my personal winner in the category so far this year of what I've seen. I just, mm-hmm. I mean, she's she's in nearly every frame of the movie commanding your attention. And I, yeah, I think the performance is brilliant. I love her so much. But also, obviously, pushing for it in big categories since it's not eligible in international feature now. It was not selected as France's entry but i think that's okay i love the taste of things and i think that this obviously still has potential in other categories with actress if lily goes lead and we have natalie in there who would you pick out of those three are those your three top performances yeah we're i mean we're looking at one of the best best actress lineups (laughs) in history if that happens and if we have emma stone getting in for poor things that's a tough call you asked me too quickly i that's so hard because i love Natalie so much in December. <laughs> the monologue that she gives, it's so perfect. It's so I told perfect. You. I'm obsessed with this movie. Um yeah, it's really hard. I think my answer could change day to day. And I I absolutely love Lily. I think she's she's the heart of Killers of the Flower Moon, for sure. But she does not have as much to do as Sandra mm-hmm. Huller does in Anatomy of a Fall. But I love the performance. I think she's tremendous. It's a really, really difficult year. I'm going to have to think about it for a long time. Ugh, Natalie. Natalie, though. I think May December is the best performance of her career. Like, better than Black Swan, her best actress win. It is wild. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch this back to back. I can't wait to watch it again. It's so weird. It's so great. Okay, well, to wrap up Anatomy of a Fall, if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? Well, you segued so nicely into this because my answer is best actress for Sandra Huller. I think the performance is, it's towering. It's fun. She gets to play this really tricky, kind of wicked character. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. I think she plays her to perfection. And one of the best things is it made me excited to go watch other films that Sandra Huller has been in before that I've never seen. What about you? Yeah, I saw Sybil on Mubi after this. I'm uh-huh. going to see Tony Erdman. I'm like mm-hmm. so excited for, I guess, people just to see her filmography because, yeah, what she's doing in Sybil too is yeah kind of a nice extension of this. Mm-hmm. You know, we should make a stipulation and say we're allowed to give picture once a year. Oh, that's a good idea. For this question. I don't know if I gave mine already, but like I want to give it to Justine. I think I'm going to give it to Sandra too. And I sound defeated, but it's one of my all-time favorite performances all time it's every little moment and gesture that she does Mm -hmm. is so calculated and it is totally in service of 
this character uh-huh. that is beyond real, yet scary and layered and capable of so much. Mm-hmm. And the way she gets this across, I think, is really important mm-hmm. and was so difficult to do. And to get all these parts of her across during the trial and yeah the manipulation I love every second so yeah it's totally deserved I really hope she's in every conversation this year oh yeah and I think a key distinction I want to make too is that the character is so calculated but the performance to me never felt that way. Like you couldn't see her trying. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes when you can, oh, yeah. when actors are doing that or they're playing characters like that who think through everything or who manipulate people, you can see the wheels turning. That's not the way this performance is at all. It's really surprising. Absolutely. Yeah. I mentioned the meta aspect uh-huh. of, you know, the character and the actor having the same name. I think that adds to it. But it was funny during the Q&A with Justine and Sandra. Justine goes, oh, yeah, I just sent her the script with her name on it. So I would hope that she would say yes. And she did. But again, it just is this other element that adds to like, is this her? Mm -hmm. Is it real? How much of this is character or actor Sandra acting? It's so good. Well, go see Anatomy of a Fall. It's out in theaters right now. I think it's, it's limited, but it's expanding very soon to wider markets so definitely go see this go with your friends have a good conversation afterwards it's one of our favorite movies of the year next time on oscar wilde we will be discussing another huge movie that we've been talking about for so long killers of the flower moon we've been promoing marty on the pod go listen to our after dark episode as well on mean streets and the king of comedy but I'm so excited to dive into this movie. Going to be another big awards player. I just realized that by the time we record this episode, I will have spent almost 11 (laughs) hours with this film in theaters. So yeah, big commitment, but totally worth it. It's, It's wonderful. So I'm excited to talk about it more and play a little Marty game. Well, thank you all for listening. Feel free to rate, review, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Oscar Wilde Pod. And you can find more content on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.